We're shifting gears. We were in the temple. This last season, we were in the temple. It was ponderous. I understand that. But there are times when young minds and not-so-young minds need to go deep into the Word. And we went deep. Ponderous. We went up to heaven's sanctuary. The temple in heaven. Week after week after week. We're shifting gears. Completely different. Not ponderous now. I'm hoping that the subject we're plunging into today will be provocative. I hope it will engage our minds and call us out of our status quo. Title of this new mini-series. Three Sabbaths in a row. I hope you don't miss one of them today, next time, and next time. Borrowing a line from T.S. Eliot's poem, The Dry Salvages, who are only undefeated because we have gone on trying. Subtitle, An Apology for the Young of the Church. Hope you'll be a part of this. I hope the Spirit will provoke us and we'll plunge into a teaching that will shift gears for us in this great campus and congregation. Let's pray as we plunge into today's teaching. Oh God, Arise, my soul, and sing. Hasten to the feet of your Redeemer, God. That's what we want to do. All the way through the new season and the new year before us. As we plunge into this first teaching in this mini-series, make it crystal clear. Set us up for where you need us to go. And may Jesus be front and center. We pray in His name. Amen. It is a tradition... Not in this pulpit, but in, uh, in the media and all. To make New Year's predictions. Everybody's making New Year's predictions, so I want to make a New Year's prediction. Just one. That's all. One prediction. I want to make this prediction while I'm being sensitive to Yogi Berra. You remember Yogi Berra, don't you? Yogi Berra gave this counsel. He said, it's tough making predictions, especially about the future. And so I want to keep that in mind. But I want to actually get into the future with you. You've got to understand Yogi Berra's mind. You, you, you know. I mean, he just was always outside the box. This is the Yogi Berra who, when the waitress brought a pizza to him, she said, Mr. Berra, do you want this pizza cut into four pieces or eight pieces? He thought for a moment. He said, you better do it in four. I'd never be able to eat eight. So that's the uh, guy that colors outside the box. That's Mr. Berra. So keeping in mind his, his uh, counsel, it's tough to make these kind of predictions. I want to make one prediction about the future. I make this prediction based upon reading, observing, brooding, and praying. In fact, right off the bat, I want to share with you six observings that come right out of life as we're living it on the planet today. Six observings that I've been brooding over. And so you pull out your study guide in today's uh, new season, new year worship bulletin. Pull it out. Let's go. I want to share six observings with you. If you didn't get a study guide, we've got our friendly ushers. They're coming In the balcony, they're here down below in overflow. Make sure you get a study guide. You're going to want these uh, three study guides for this mini-series. Those of you who are watching on uh, television, we're delighted to have you. Glad you came. Let me put it on the screen for you. This is our website, www.pmchurch.tv. You see that on the website. Go to this website. You can get the same study guide. You're looking for this series, Who Are Only Undefeated Because We Have Gone on Trying, An Apology for the Young of the Church, Part one. There are going to be three parts to this. This is part one. When you go to part one, it says study guide. Click on there. You'll have the very same study guide. And you can jot these six random. These are random observations. Six of them. But in their collectiveness, I'm going to make one prediction. And let's ponder it. All right? So, you got it uh, watching and listening and right here. Everybody have it? Let's go. Six uh, random observations. Observation number one. Let me read this to you. 
Everybody's been following the story since June of last year, the uprising, the political uprising in Iran. All right. So this is out of that uh, uprising, the contested election last June. And uh, being in a university, the headline caught my eye. Professors speak out against violence in Iran. So I want to read this. Dateline Tehran, Iran. Nearly 90 professors at Tehran University have told Iran's supreme leader that ongoing violence against protesters shows the weakness of the country's leadership. A pro-reform website reported Monday reflecting a growing willingness to risk careers and studies to challenge the ruling clerics. Now, listen up. Here we go. The graying theocracy faces a critical generation gap and cannot afford to lose legitimacy among large portions of the youth in a country with nearly half its population under 25 years old, analysts say. Wow. Then one of the analysts, I'm quoting him now, the universities, he said, are the little engines that make the big engine work. He went on. The students are the brains and the body of the opposition movement. Observation number one. Would you jot it down, please? The youth movement in Iran, where nearly 50% of the population is under 25. How did that, how did that uh, analyst put it? The students are the brains and the body of the opposition movement. Reminds me of a quotation I came across years ago. I, I have it now in my preaching Bibles. And I'm going to give it to you right now. Observation number two. Jot it down. These are the words of Charles Mabib Malik, former president of the United Nations General Assembly. He said, change the university and you change the world. I like that. Change the university and you change the world. Why? Because the young are the key. Key to changing the world. So I'm thinking to myself, okay... We got two observations here, but how many young are there in the world? So I went, on, I went online after reading uh, uh, that Iranian number. I went online. I said, give me, the, give me the demographics for the young 2009. Found a fresh uh, website. Jot it down here. As of 2009, over this is observation number three. As of 2009, over 3.5 billion, in fact, it's 3.513 billion of Earth's population, that's over half, are under 30 are under 30, over half of the human race. In other words, over half of the world is young adult or younger. If you are a young adult, you are part of the majority. Now, I need to say this quickly, but not for long. The Stanford University Longevity Center study I read online describes the accelerating graying of the human race over the next 25 years because of what they call below-replacement birth rates that are producing less and less children. So you're in the majority now, not for long. This is a key season, therefore, in the life of this planet, I believe. Observation number four, jot it down. The most famous person on the planet today is a young adult. In fact, let me put his face on the screen for you right now. The whole world knows that face. The 23-year-old Umar Farouk Abdul Muttalab, the Christmas Day bomber who fortunately failed in his attempt... What's the point, Dwight? Here it is. If you don't think a young adult can make a difference on this planet, just remember Umar, who has changed global life as we know it. A negative example to make a very positive point. If you are young, you too can change. One, only one, you can change life on this planet. Observation number five. Every year I try to read, I try to read the Bible through in the first month. I got that idea from uh, HMS Richard Sr., the great Bible preacher in our community of faith. 
He said, just read it. The first month, you sweep over the peaks. And so, I tell my young preachers over here, if you read 40 chapters a day in January, you'll be done. Whole Bible. Panoramic sweep. So, I'm into the new year now. And I'm just one week into this new year. And I come back to the book of Numbers. I mean, how many many times have I read this book of Numbers? It never hit me before, but it hits me this time. Do you remember that God orders a national census of the children of Israel when they're in the wilderness? Because he wants to put an army together. You remember that? Amazingly, in Numbers chapter 1, God reiterates 12 times, 12 times, God declares that those to be included as potential army recruits are 20 years old or more. 20 years old or more. Take them. 20 years old or more. Isn't that amazing? God could have said, you know, the most important people to me are 30 and up. The most important people to me are 40 and up, 50 and up, 60 and up. Those are the ones I really want. No. He says the most important people to me. You going to war? 20 and up. Jot it down. Observation number five. God's census of Israel proves he places a high premium on young adults. Could have left them out. He did not. Clearly, if you want to tap into the heart and soul of a religious community, make sure the 20-somethings are included in your strategizing. And finally, random observation number six. Jot this down. In planning the D-Day invasion, June 1944. If yours says 45, that's a typo. 1944. In planning that invasion, General Dwight D. Eisenhower intentionally chose, write it down, young inexperienced, write those two words, young, inexperienced, but highly trained troops for the assault. Where did I get that from? Stephen Ambrose, the uh, biographer, the late biographer of Eisenhower, professor of history at the University of New Orleans, tells how, ge- how, how the general knew experienced soldiers are terrified soldiers. You know why? Because they know what a bullet can do to the body. But you take the young with their bravado and brash, bold spirit. They'll take any height. They don't know it can't be done. Leading Stephen Ambrose, jot this down to write, there is something to be said for inexperience. By the way, the terrorists have figured out what Eisenhower figured out. Have you noticed? Umar, 23. Where are they picking? The young. The young. Based on the book of Numbers, it appears God is in full agreement with Eisenhower. Youthful inexperience. There they are, ladies and gentlemen. Six random observations I've been brooding over of late. Whose composite? Put all the six together. It enables me, I hope, you may challenge this prediction that we're about to share. I hope this is an informed prediction about the future. And what is that prediction? Jot it down. Only one prediction. Six observations, one prediction. There is coming a movement of the young that will sweep the world and shake the church. Did you know how they're, just, how they're describing the political uprising in Iran today? The students are the brains and the body of the opposition movement. I.e., radical. there's a radical paradigm shift that is threatening to sweep over Iran, fueled by a movement among the young. Could it happen to the church? That's what I'm wondering. Could it happen to the Seventh-day Adventist church? Could it happen to the Pioneer Memorial Church on the campus of Andrews University? That's what I'm wondering. Will there come a movement of young that will sweep the world and shake the church to its very foundations? Let me share with you, let me disclose to you the reason why I can be as confident about this prediction as I'm 
I am this morning before you. And that is simply that I've discovered prophetic backup for this prediction. Blew me out of the water when I saw this. I've shared this with some of you, but now I want to share it with all of you. Please. I found it in a dusty, a dusty old prophecy in of all places. Can you believe this? The book of Psalms. You got something out of that? Yep. And I want you to take a very careful, brooding look over this line from the Psalms. Open your Bible to the book of Psalms right in the middle of your Bible. Find, find Psalm 110. Psalm 110. If you didn't bring your Bible, you've got to see this. Pull out the Pew Bible. Here's the page number. 4, 4, 414. 414. That's the page number. Psalm 110. Take a look at this. Amazing. Amazing. The first words of the psalm, if you read the New Testament, they're going to say, oh yeah, I remember that. But I don't know why we've always stopped with just the first words. What's up with that? Why didn't we read farther? Take a look at this. This is Psalm 110. Let's pick it up. I'm in the New International Version. You've got the New King James in the pew. That's all right. NIV, Psalm 110, verse 1. The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Hit the pause button right there. Because you may have recognized those words. Jesus quotes those words in the, in the Gospels. And he says, that's me. That's about me. Peter quotes those words on the day of Pentecost. He says, that's about Christ. Paul quotes those words. He says, that's about Jesus. Amazing. This is one of the most quoted lines in all of the Psalms in the New Testament. And when Jesus says, it's about me, immediate clue. This is a messianic prophecy. It is a prophecy about Christ. And in fact, what we have, what we, what we just read is, two eternal beings are in conversation. One eternal being says to the other, God the Father says to the Messiah, that would be Christ as we now call Him Jesus. He says, hey, how's He put it here? The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. I'm going to make you conqueror of the entire planet. You sit right here beside me until we've, we have finished that mission. And that's where we all stop. We say, oh, that's a wonderful... Hallelujah. Wonderful Messianic prophecy. Read on. The stunning line is just coming. Verse 2. God the Father saying to God the Son, The Lord will extend your mighty scepter, O Messiah, from Zion, and you will rule in the midst of your enemies. You're going to win this battle. In the end, you will win. But here comes the stunner. Verse 3. Why have we skipped verse 3? I want to read it to you. Read it with you. Verse 3. O Messiah, your troops will be willing on your day of battle, arrayed in holy majesty from the womb of the dawn, you will receive the dew of your youth. Now, that line is even clearer in the today's New International Version. And let's put it here, and you'll have to fill it in because I wanted you to have this line in your study guide. This is a TNIV. Your troops, so he's talking to the Messiah, your troops will be willing on your day of battle, arrayed in holy splendor, your young, will you write that, would you write that in please? Your young will come to you like dew from the morning's womb. Isn't that something? Jesus says, this is all about me. This is me. This is about me. Oh, Messiah, are you going to have an end game? Oh, I got an end game. Will you have a final battle? I will have a final battle. And I want you to know something. On the basis of this psalm, Jesus is saying to us, my troops, my troops are going to be the young who will come to me like the morning dew. 
That is so something. Arrayed in holy splendor, your young, O Messiah, will come to you on your day of battle like dew from the womb of the dawn. Isn't that amazing? How come we never saw that before? We stopped with verse 1. Oh, that's all we need. We missed it. Leading one commentator, by the way, to make this point. It's in your study guide. If verse 3, which we have just read, speaks of the young warriors who flocked to him, that would be the Messiah, it apparently describes them as dressed in priestly garb. That means they're a worshiping community. You're a worshiping community. We all are. They're dressed in priestly garb ready for participation in a holy war. Jot that down. There is a holy war at the end of human history that will mop up God's final offensive on this planet. Ready for participation in a holy war. And, oh, I love this. Pouring into His camp morning by morning as copious as the dew. Isn't that something? Stunning messianic prophecy that says when Christ assembles a final army to bring human history to an end as we know it, rebellion on this planet, they will come, they will pour into His army. The young, the young. He recruits. Wow. Derek Kidner, by the way, the great commentator on the book of Psalms. I like how he describes this this movement. Would you jot it down in your study guide? He calls this movement a splendid army, silently and suddenly mobilized. Boom! Just right there. God calls an army. And that army responds. Doesn't take years to put the army together. Suddenly, silently, they move. You know what? That's an intriguing similarity, that language with words... Familiar words written a century ago. You, you and I have shared these words, haven't we? Let me put it on the screen for you. Fill it in. Century ago. With such an army. Ooh, with such an army. Same language. With such an army of workers as our youth, our young, rightly trained. And hit the pause button right there. Because do you remember Eisenhower's strategy? Take them young. Take them inexperienced. But make sure they are highly trained. That's the key, guys. There's no point in just sending young, young, inexperienced people out into battle. They'll just be blown away for no good purpose. You've got to highly train them and then send them out. Young still, inexperienced, yep. With such an army of workers as our youth rightly trained might furnish, how soon the message of a crucified, risen, and soon coming Savior might be carried to the whole world. How soon might the end come? The end of suffering and sorrow and sin leading me to make a New Year prediction. Now with a bit more prophetic bravado than I had before even, because you can see it now. There is coming a movement of the young that will sweep the world and will shake the church. It's coming. We got the the prediction right here. Which is why, by the way, I am so troubled. I am so troubled by the numbers and the trend. And I wouldn't be fair... I would not be candid and honest with you if I didn't report these numbers. Some of our senior leaders over the holiday have been reading Roger Dudley's seminal research he published a few, a few years ago entitled, Why Our Teenagers Leave the Church. Amazing. I have to share the numbers with you. Roger and his team of researchers undertook the most expansive longitudinal study. That means a study conducted over a series of years. The most expansive longitudinal study in the history of our little community of faith and arguably perhaps in any community of faith. Here's what they did. They gathered a sample of 
1,523 Adventist youth ages 15 and 16 and then track this sample group over one decade to determine change in attitudes and behavior. Uh, Roger undertook this study at, at the behest of the North American Division of Seventh-day Adventists and conducted the study through the Institute of Church Ministry right over here in the Theological Seminary. They were eager to discover what kind of attrition rate are we actually experiencing in our community of faith. What's the dropout rate? That's what they wanted to know. Here come the numbers. Obviously, you need to read the entire book to get a feel for what has been Roger Dudley's passion over his career. He's lived a ministry focused on the young. But let me, let, 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 let me just run some of the statistics by you, okay? Grab your pen now. And by the way, these are the statistics that would challenge the prediction that we've just made, you and I together. Here are the statistics. Jot them down, please. A conservative, and by the way, this is conservative. A conservative analysis of the data reveals that between 40 to 50 percent of young adults are dropping out of the church over that 10-year study. By the way, just this last fall, talking with a group of youth leaders, they were telling me, Dwight, it's actually up to 70% in some circles. 70%. Keep writing. Of the approximately 50% who do remain, okay, they don't leave. Of the, of the approximately 50% who do remain, only 55% attend church regularly. 45% return a tithe. 34% attend Sabbath school. And 21% hold some type of church office. Keep writing. Moreover, only 13% read... These are the people who stayed. Only 13% read the Bible daily and 30% weekly, while 36% rarely or never do. Now, I don't want you to be clucking your tongue too loud because if we did a survey of those 30 and up, I wager, I predict, the numbers would be very close to same. So be careful. But because we are approaching these statistics from a negative perspective, we're looking at attrition, Roger is quick to point out, put his words on the screen for you and you have it in your study guide. Many are finding, I sure know this is true here at Andrews in a pioneer, many are finding a good experience in the church. They love the church dearly. They're deeply committed to church, to Jesus. That's what we got here. Hundreds and hundreds of young adults. I understand that. But, here's Roger's point, but, as we have seen, 40% to 50% of those who are baptized members in their mid-teens will drop out of the church by the time they are halfway through their 20s. And he concludes, this is a hemorrhage of epic proportions. End quote. Mercy. So what should we do, Roger? Roger, a member of our congregation. Sat here in first church, listening to himself be quoted. What should we do? Let me put his words on the screen. The church can have no higher priority than stemming the loss of young adults and winning back those who have left its ranks. End quote. And I agree, don't you? I mean, come on. Come on. Unless we do. I mean, what choice do we have? Unless we do, we will be like the graying Iranian theocracy that apparently has lost its young and has lost its future. It's over. So what's, what should the church do? And I'm not even thinking right now of the world church. I'm not thinking of the national church. If we wait for them, we may wait too long. 
And besides, besides, judicatory headquarters, at best, can pull off a few rallies, but can do little to stem systemic loss. won't come through them. It won't even come through the GYC. You've heard of the GYC, the Generation of Youth for Christ? It won't come through GYC annual rallies. And I want to tell you something. GYC, I believe they're the front edge to this movement of the young. There is no question that they are fulfilling an important and spiritually influential role in our community of faith today. But the GYC cannot reverse the trends by themselves. It just cannot be done. Why are you so adamant about that, Dwight? I'll tell you why. Because God's hope, our hope, is in the local church. It has to be the local church. I'm going to remind you that the local church is the most significant agency God controls on this planet. It's the most powerful institution on earth to affect change for the kingdom of heaven. You say, no, Dwight, it's the schools. No, it's not the schools. Listen to me. It's not the schools. Of course the schools do it. The schools only exist because a band of local churches got together and said, let's have a, let's have a school. There would be no schools if there were no local churches. God's backstop in His strategic plan is the local church. It has to be. The family, yes. But the local church must assist the family in shaping and recruiting young warriors for the Messiah's last army. That's the point. And by the way, that's the only way the epic hemorrhaging that Roger describes will be staunched. I need to tell you, I am very optimistic that the hemorrhaging will be staunched. It will be stopped, stemmed. The numbers will reverse. You say, Dwight, how can you be so unequivocal in front of this, this congregation? I'll tell you why. Because of what we just read. Come on, what did we just read? Let's put it on the screen again. Verse 3. What does God say? God says, Your troops, O Messiah, your troops will be willing on your day of battle, arrayed in holy splendor. Your young will come to you like dew from the morning's womb. Ladies and gentlemen, that is a prophecy. That is a prediction. And the only way God can pull it off is through the local church. That means God is going to reverse the trend and change the numbers. Is He able to? Absolutely. With your and my cooperation, of course. The local church becomes the recruiting center for the Messiah in His end game. So what will the recruiting center look like? Let me tell you what it won't look like. Jan Paulson, president of our World Church, in a recent issue of Adventist World, told a story. When I read that story, I said, oh boy. I want to read. These are his actual words. I will read the story to you. Jan Paulson, writing. A person close to me. So whoever he's describing here, he's close to. Okay? A person close to me, a young man still finding his feet in the world came to church one Sabbath morning wearing clothes that were somewhat out of the ordinary for that particular congregation. He was clean and quite presentable, but not as formally dressed as others. He was met at the door by one of the elders who looked him up and down and said, Why don't you go home and change your clothes? 
the young man did go home. And in the 20 years since, he has not returned to church. Listen to me carefully. Church. A local church with a dress priority like that cannot and will not become a a major recruiting and training center for the Messiah's young. Will it? Impossible. By the way, there are local churches listening right now all across this nation. We're a local church. Little local churches all over America. We're all in this together. But if we're going to play that game, well, Roger, let me, let me give you Roger's conclusion. Put it on the screen for you. I find this rather compelling. Many teenagers, it's in your study guide too, many teenagers and young adults are leaving the church because they perceive it to be behavior-centered when they are looking for relationships. I want to hit the pause button right there. Because my young adult partner in putting these uh, PowerPoints together caught this. He said, Dwight, did you know? I want to report it to you. Umar Farouk, the bomber, the attempted bomber. Do you know that they've now, they've now discovered he's been online journaling since 2005. They're reading his journal entries. This boy who grew up in a community of faith, and you know what his religion is. He grew up in a community of faith. And in his online journaling, he's describing an, a sense of utter loneliness. He's lonely. He's not connecting. Relationships are not happening to him in his own community of faith. Now listen carefully. When a young adult is lonely and disconnected, there is one ripe for radicalizing into a way of life that young adult would never have accepted had not somebody come along and said, Hey, I like you. You're just our kind. That's what happened to Umar. Dudley's right. Many teenagers and young adults are leaving the church because they perceive it to be behavior-centered when they're looking for somebody to notice me, somebody to be my friend. They're looking for relationships. And then here's the stunner. Without new effort, we will never retain our youth. They will not continue to struggle in a contest they cannot possibly win. You can't win. I'm talking now, I know we're surrounded by young adults, but I'm talking to the local church right now. Have we raised the bar so high that they cannot possibly win in our midst? You can't serve in that office. You can't be there. You can't do that. You can't, you can't, you can't, you can't. Have we raised the bar so high that they can't possibly win? The subtitle of this mini-series is An Apology for the Young of the Church. That's not apologizing on their behalf. It's based on the Greek word apologia, which means to defend, a defense of their presence among us. Could it be that we in the local church, and I'm talking about churches across this nation, have spent our energies focusing on behavior rather than relationship? Jot it down. With the young, have we come across as being all about giving up when we should be all about Signing up. Now, we want you to give up that. We want you to give up that. We want you to give up that. And then you give up that. And then you give up that. And then you can come. Have we mistaken our mission? Thinking it's to teach them to give up rather than to call them to sign up. I was talking with uh, one of our mothers the other day who's trying hard to 
assure her young adult child that contrary to what it seems, the church really isn't only focused on eradicating negative behavior. I want to ask you a question. Think about it. Let's think about that elder. Let's think about that elder greeting at the door. What if that elder had put his arm, put his arm around that young adult and had smiled and he said, I am so glad you're here. I can't imagine this church without you. Come on in. Hey, boy, I know. We don't dress the same. We don't worship the same way. We don't listen. You don't listen to my music and I don't listen to yours. But Jesus loves you. I love you. We love you. Come on in. This is where you belong. What if the local church had been a recruiting center signing up rather than calling for giving up? With such an army of workers as our young. Ladies and gentlemen, I remind you that the very recruits that the Messiah declares will be utterly strategic to his end game are the young. We have to find a way not to, not to weed them out, but to draw them in. We have to find a way. And we will. We put that verse back on the screen for you. Psalm 110, verse 3. Your troops, O Messiah, will be willing on your day of battle, arrayed in holy splendor. Your young will come to you like dew from the morning's womb. It's clear. Hey, guys, it's very clear that these young are gladly retru- recruited by the Messiah. He has, he has hardly to do his thing. And they're already signing up. Sign me up. Sign me up. They're pouring in as copious as the morning dew, flooding his army, for his endgame. They sign up. The Pioneer Memorial Church on the campus of Andrews University and every other local church across this nation is the Messiah's recruitment center. We are the recruitment center. Which means that it is high time we, you and I, it's high time we sign up too. When I was a kid growing up, my favorite song, Bar None. Now, you have to be a baby boomer for this. Because we used a, when we were having little church school worships, we used a book called Singing Youth. Have you ever heard of Singing Youth? You haven't? Well, you have. Good. We used a little book called Singing Youth. And whenever the teacher would have favorite times, because there were some times when, some worships when she would have favorites. I tell you what, every little hand went up. And we're all going like this. Number four. Please, number four. I grew up singing number four in the singing you. It's, you know what? It's, it's entitled, uh, The Captain Calls for You. It's about recruiting. It's, it's straight out of Psalm 110. It's about recruiting for the Messiahs, for Christ's army. The Captain Calls for You. Volunteers, volunteers. Oh, that was one of my favorite songs. So here's the deal. I want you to sing it. I want you to sing it. I want you to sing it with me. I don't know if these fingers can still play it or not because it's been a long, long time. But let me try it. And you sing it. What we're going to do is we'll put the words on the screen for you. Try not to knock over these guitars. We'll put the words on the screen for you. And if you haven't sung it before, you will. (laughs) And uh, you'll pick up on it. You'll pick up on it. You've got some baby boomers sitting around you. See, church is supposed to be multi-generation, never unigenerational. It's supposed to be multi So we've had to sing the songs you know, and now it's your turn to sing a song I know. (laughs) All right? Okay, the captain calls for you. 
and I've asked our minister of music to please be at the organ. I'm going to take just this little fanfare at the beginning. Then I've asked him to drown me out with everything he's got on that organ. <laughs> like somebody said, Dwight, don't, uh, don't leave your day job, whatever you do. <laughs> All right. So, stand up. Oh, you've got to stand for this one. You've got to stand. This is a very short introduction. And then you plunge into it. There's another task to do. There's a battle to renew. And the captain calls for you. Volunteers. Volunteers. All right. Let's give it a whirl. pray. Let's pray together. Oh, God. You're looking for volunteers? We'd like to sign up. Looking for churches across the land who will become recruiting centers for the Messiah? We'd like to sign up. You're looking for the young to pour into Christ's endgame army? We'd like to sign up. We may not have been what you've needed us to be in the past, but it's a new year. It's a new season. And there's a new urgency to the Messiah's call. And so as volunteers, we humbly ask that you would take us, all of us, in this big family, bind us to each other, and then send us out into this world to find your friends who still do not know you. Volunteers, 
we stand to be that for you. For the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ and the hastening of His return, let all the volunteers say, Amen and Amen.